Father Luke Klingstead. We've been calling you that for six months now because of the tradition of, of, of Anglo-Catholic clergy calling deacons and priests father yeah. from the Orthodox tradition. But you are, let's see, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, was that, we're looking at five days yeah. now, five days ordained a priest. We've been joking that the oil is still wet yeah. on your hands as Bishop Brewer anointed your hands. Um, it was an extraordinary weekend. It was. We... Um, we flew down a Friday afternoon. You flew down later than I did, yes, I and you actually delays, landed su- Saturday morning, I think, is when you yeah, probably got to your hotel correct. in Orlando, Florida, and it's really a shame, because I had a lovely evening without you. <laughs> Wish you could have been with me. And then Saturday morning at 11 a.m., you with three others were ordained to the Sacred Order of Priests, and then we had a brief reception at All Saints Church when Rapart found an Uber and went back to the airport and were was home by, what, 9 yeah. p.m.? And then um, 12 hours later, we were back here for your very first Mass. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I told you jokingly, but not jokingly, that, you know, this is the one thing that will not change in your life. Yeah. Your wife is like unlikely to divorce you, but she could. Yep. Um, they can't, this, this cannot be taken from you. Yeah. That line from, from the Psalms that's repeated in the letter to the Hebrews, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Even if um, you were to be denied faculties to... to right to um, exercise your priesthood because of some scandal or something that you will not do. But technically, if they were to depose you, you're still a priest. Mm-hmm. Even when priests are deposed or laicized, which is a misnomer, mm-hmm. they still are priests. In the same way that you can't undo a baptism. That's, uh, that was the connection I was about to you, make. You, you can't undo a right. baptism. You can't undo an ordination. Mm-hmm. And that indelible character on your soul is with you forever. Tell me, tell us what what that was like this whirlwind weekend of quickly going down. What was what was the experience of ordination like for you? What was the experience of saying not only your first mass on Sunday, mm-hmm. but you've done it um, since then um, twice once now and, and be, once, once more, once more yeah. about an hour. Um, you know the I think the you know external factors of flying down and having 24 hours and, and, you know, all of that, um, was just kind of happening around me and I was kind of caught up in that. And then there were, you know, two or three moments where I felt like I was able to pause for a moment and reflect. And one was as Bishop Brewer's hands were on my head. Um, what kind of an ordaining bishop is he? Is he a heavy-handed ordainer? Is he he's a, he's light? a firm, firm, but, uh, yeah. you know, not overly so. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, Chloe told me that apparently the bishop, uh, Bishop Ed of, of Oklahoma, who confirmed us, she said he apparently was a squeezer and squeezed our head when he confirmed us. Um, Making bishop sure Brewer the was, Holy Spirit yeah, gets in I guess there, so. Yeah. Um, bishop Brewer was, was firm. Um, but when he, when he laid his hands on me, um, you know, everything kind of paused for a moment. Um, and we, you know, joked about that moment before, but kind of that's where it hits you. Um, you know, there's no going back now. Here it is. And, uh, you know, when, when he says the words, make him a priest, um, there is a wonderful 
moment there where you're forced to recognize what you said what, what you said earlier that this is not something that's taken away because it's not Bishop Brewer making me a priest. He is the vehicle in which the Holy Spirit makes me a priest. Um, there is that fundamental change given by God, and there is uh, a seriousness to that. Um, a moment where, you know, I you know was was kneeling there, um, and it kind of hits you that this is something God has done for me, and there is a weight to that. That this is not you know, a job I've taken and knowing that, you know, in 40 years you retire or if you get bored, you go do something else. That's not, that's not what's happening here. This is a, a different kind of, of vocation and calling, one that everyone is called to, but with more specificity to, you know, the church and her sacraments. And so it hit me there. Um, and then as I was processing that, um, Bishop Brewer, and, and I don't know if they did this at your ordination, um, giving you a Bible and actually, you know, asking you to bow your head and putting the Bible over your head. As he that, didn't beat me with the Bible, I don't remember. Yeah, he but, but yeah, there was that yeah. uh, physical reminder that I am under the authority of Scripture and, and of Jesus. Um, as soon as you have been made a priest, your first thing is you better bow to the Holy Scriptures. Um, and I think that's, that's a good ordering of things to kind of, you know, before you even have any chance to... You know, let yourself get puffed up, um, bow, bow before the Bible and, and before God. And then, you know, the, the you know, reception and, and we're flying back to Winston-Salem and, uh, you know, I've been practicing the chanting and, and all of that. Um, and you joke that you could even tell, but, but as I start, you know, the prayer for the whole state of Christ church and know that the, the Eucharistic prayer is coming, you know, I, I find myself starting getting very nervous mm -hmm. um, because I, I've kind of hit yes, me again, the, the seriousness of this. Um, and it has uh, obviously not lost its significance. And, you know, you've said that for the thousands of times that you've gone and approached the altar, it has never lost that not significance once. and yeah. that weight. Um, and, yeah, and so, you know, in an hour when I do it again, I'm sure it will, it will hit me um, the same again. But but there is that, that weight to it, um, which I will try to carry with me for the rest of my life, and I'm sure I will find ways to bring that back um, so that I don't forget it, but but there's a weight to it. Um, when you are, you know, saying the words of Jesus Christ and, and elevating his body and blood and then giving it to the people, um, there's nothing else that you could be doing that is more important, and that demands that you take it seriously, um, that you prepare yourself for it beforehand, um, you know, the prayers of preparation, hit you a little, at least hit me a little heavier when I'm the one celebrating. And so it's been a, a interesting and unique experience, obviously, but um, it has been one that's been weighty, and, and rightfully so, I think. The, a part of your ordination, of the ordination rite, Bishop Brewer put his hands on your head, mm -hmm. and that is what is necessary. A tradition is for the other priests to come right. and lay hands not on your head, but on you, mm -hmm. because now you are in the College of Presbyters. Mm -hmm. And what's the if anyone is curious as to what is the distinction between bishop, priest, and deacon, mm -hmm. reading the ordination liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer is the best 
first place is, to go. Yeah. And one of the things that is said in that ordination is that now you will take counsel, take your place in the councils of the church, meaning that the priest has a leadership role, not only in the parish, mm-hmm. but definitely al- along with the bishop. I mean, the bishop is the is the is the focus of unity. Is the is the teacher, chief priest, and pastor. The bishops are wise to to include the council of the mm-hmm. presbyters, the people who are on the ground. But I tried to squeeze you pretty hard. Um, I tried to make sure you knew you could feel the yeah. imprint of yeah. this moment. So I don't know. I didn't know how how hard Bishop Brew was doing it, but I wanted to certainly um, leave a mark on your shoulder. The other thing that I am always struck by, and I, I think I noticed it for the first time, really, at your diaconal ordination. I think mm-hmm. was right after the examination or the presentation of the mm-hmm. candidate, where we and, of course, your wife was there and Father Matt Ainsley uh, out of um, Orlando was there as your present- presenters, and we had to certify that you are um, selected in accordance Correct. with the canons and that you have a you know Fulfilled godly and sober yeah. life and all these sorts of things that we present you, that, that you've reached to that point um, by jotting every... I and crossing every yeah, T, yeah. then after the bishop addresses you and then you pledge your fidelity to the church and to the bishop and all that, that the prayer that concludes the presentation and then begins the liturgy of the word, that hinge prayer is one that we actually say in the solemn collects mm-hmm. on Good Friday. And that connection with Good Friday is, I think, important and one of the one of the connections that is not as there's not exposed as much as it should be, is that the priesthood is the connection to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The priesthood was instituted the night before he died at Maundy Thursday, which is why chrism masses are traditionally held on Maundy mm-hmm. Thursday, where priests renew their ordination vows. Um, but also, and I thought Bishop Brewer's homily was very, very good in talking about the sacrificial nature mm-hmm. of the priesthood, not simply or not only in the sense, although primarily, that we present Christ's sacrifice to the to the people, but that we are an oblation mm-hmm. being poured out, which sounds wonderfully romantic and heroic, but stinks a lot. Yeah. And the one line Bishop Brewer said that moved me personally when he was saying that you need to love the people to the point where your heart is broken, yeah. that they will break your heart. Mm-hmm because you're putting yourself in that place of vulnerability and self-sacrifice, but because we are broken people, we will break each other's hearts. If we were in that relationship, we're going to let people down, we're Mm -hmm. going to break their heart. But to be in that place where our heart is broken, yet we continue to go on. And we we see this, right, in the in the prophetic witness in the Old Testament, especially, of the of the prophets' hearts Mm -hmm. being broken. Yet they continue Jeremiah, because Jeremiah Elijah, weeping, I mean, yeah. they're compelled to continue this this prophetic ministry, right. even though it hurts. And but Bishop Brewer was able to take that and 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 support that with words of great hope right. that we find our strength in the sacrifice of Christ, who 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 died for us. Mm-hmm. Our hearts may be broken, but certainly the Sacred Heart of Jesus right. is extended to us and. Um, I thought it was terribly moving. It was, um, I mean, it was it was hard to really sit there and have a meditative experience of the whole weekend mm-hmm. because we were on the go yeah. so much for 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 lots of reasons. But I thought Sunday was glorious with one mass, 
having the entire congregation mm-hmm. show up, which pleased me to no end. The rain held off until we finished the lunch. Yep. As soon as we were putting started, the last table, started up. to drizzle, and people stayed for the for the lunch picnic longer yeah. than I thought they would. That's good. I mean, the rain basically had to had ended the party, and then benediction. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you did benediction, I which, did. for people who don't know, we we conclude every Sunday with we alternate with evening evening prayer and even song, but mm-hmm. we have benediction every week, and that's prevented by by some good cause, and that is not one more service or one more thing. Right. It's my gift to myself in scheduling it because it's. It's so devotional, mm-hmm. so life-giving, where all of us together as one, we kneel before the sacramental presence of Jesus, and we just sit for a moment and contemplate his love for us mm-hmm. and offer those prayers. What was that like, holding up the monstrance and blessing, or having Christ bless the people through your ministry? Yeah, there's a, a um, closeness there. Uh, that makes actually the blessing maybe that you give at the end of, of Mass, it kind of helps contextualize that a little bit because here you are holding Christ and, and showing people where the blessing comes from as you you know, move the monstrance in the sign of the cross. Um, and what, what struck me is as I was doing that is you know, it's the same blessing that we give at the end of Mass that we give, except here it is in all of its fulfillment because I am holding Jesus Christ and you know, you are gazing upon him instead of me. And that really should be what's happening every single time a blessing is given or mass is given, that, that I am a window um, and that people see Jesus Christ through the priest, um, which is why, you know, you, you get those great descriptions of, of priests, you know, encouraging people as they're preparing to say mass that the priest should not be a distraction, that you should not be showy. Um, your goal is to show Jesus Christ to people um, in, in the easiest way possible, um, the most reverent way possible. And so that, that was running through my mind. And then just over the whole, the whole course of the day, I was reading um, Michael Ramsey's you know, Christian Priest Today, his little talk given to, to ordinaries the night before they were ordained. I don't remember what year it was, but at some church, and they've made it into a book, and he has some, some great chapters. And one of the first chapters is that the priest is a man of prayer. And one of the lines that he repeats over and over is you, that the priest is called to be with God, with the people on his heart. Um, and he'll, he kind of expounds it, and then he returns and just keeps repeating it, with God, with the people on your heart. And that was running through my mind the whole day, that my job is to be with God, with the people on my heart. Every time I pray, I am with God in all of my honesty, um, whether it's you know a, a good day or a bad day, I'm with God, and I am constantly carrying the people here at St. Timothy's on my heart um, and bringing them to the altar even when they cannot be here. Um, and so that's been kind of running in the back of my head over and over the past several days is you know with God, with the people on your heart. Um, if I can keep that in mind, I think it will help me in no matter what I am doing, whether it is Mass, whether whether it is morning or evening prayer, to kind of take that um, in a new light um, after this ordination and in all of its weight and, and seriousness that this is a weighty calling. And like you said, you know, you, you might come with a broken heart a few times, but the, the people are still on your heart and you are bringing them and yourself to God. You're broken because they are on your heart. Right. Yeah. If they didn't matter, mm-hmm. we wouldn't care. 
And, yeah. and that's, the, that's the fine line of the priesthood, of the life that I haven't perfected. But it's, if you, if you get, if you, I mean, it's the idea that if, if we, you have to have, how do I say this uh, appropriately? I'm not sure I can. We have to be objective. Right. You know, for instance, we walked into a hospital room yesterday. Someone in the uh, dear, a dear, dear soul and um, devoted member of the parish ended up dying a few hours later. We have to walk in objective. Mm-hmm. This is the good news of God in this moment. We're offering these prayers. We're giving last rites. Uh, the people need to know that 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 there is an objective presence mm-hmm. and power and reality there. Yet we 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 can't be so distant though that that we can't feel with our people, but we can't be so fused that we can't also be objective. Mm-hmm. And that's that that's that line um, that is is not always the easiest to walk on. That I think I was also struck. You're you're right. Your comment about being with God, with the people on our heart. We do that at the altar. Mm-hmm. We also do that, um, and I, I, I was tickled a bit. Here we are on the airplane um, flying from yeah. Orlando to Charlotte. I have my prayer book. You have your phone. We're saying separately, yet together, yeah. the evening office. Right. And we, we do that not to demonstrate how overtly pious we are because we fail like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It is our obligation it is our duty. Mm-hmm. It is our work, the office, to say the prayers twice a day, right. not just for ourselves, but for for everyone else. Um, even the tradition of when 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 we say the daily office on our own, we're supposed to say, "The Lord be with you and with thy spirit." Mm-hmm. Let it. We say all the all words yeah. because we're sort of to embody the whole community. Mm-hmm. That wherever we are, we 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 are collecting all of you with mm-hmm. us. Not that we're special, not that we have all this great power, but that's what we are called to do. That's our that's our job. The other thing that I think is just want to comment that I love about about the grace of the Holy Spirit given in the ordination is is that there is no difference between you and me. Yeah. I've been ordained for almost eighteen years, done this an awful long time. You're five days in it. But your your mass is the same as mine. Your anointing is the same as mine. Your blessing is the same as mine. And um, that's the great... I don't know if there's any other job where you can really say that, mm-hmm. where oftentimes you have to kind of... Your, your ability or your, your efficacy is dependent upon your experience mm-hmm. and, and your training and all of that. That's not the case. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, conveyed by um, Bishop Brewer in Apostolic Succession. And that's, that's the great gift that, that you know, your, your third Mass today is as... 100% valid as my whatever thousandth mm-hmm. that I offered um, this morning. Well, with that in mind, let's. I, I'm, I stole your prayer book. I'm going to do the prayer today. Oh, and, I, right. and I'm going to do the prayer that was said at your ordination, that was also said on Good Friday. And for those who are curious who want to know what I'm talking about, it's page 280 in the prayer book for Good Friday. And um, for um, the ordination of a priest, the prayer is uh, on... Um, Page 528, it's the same exact prayer. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new. 
and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, for the rest of our time, um, I think it might be worth looking at a theme that has been in our lectionary for the past you know, a couple of weeks and will continue to be in our lectionary. Um, and it's all sorts of stories kind of centered around one theme. So Easter morning, we had the story of Mary Magdalene discovering the tomb. Um, and I'm sure everyone remembers this one because it's become, you know, Jesus's reply has become um, so well known as, as well as Mary's where she thinks he's the gardener, yeah. um, which in and of itself, has a theological point, you know, reaching back to the Garden of Eden, and Jesus is this this new gardener, this new Adam. But she says, where have you taken him that I may, you know, go and take the body? Or where have you laid him? And he says her by name, Mary. And then she finally understands who it is and calls him Rabuni, teacher, um, and, and immediately falls down and worships him. So you have Mary kind of failing to recognize Jesus' resurrected body. Then you have the same thing happening. Um, you brought up a couple examples with the disciples in the boat where Jesus commands them to, um, I'm blanking on the, the details of the story, but gives them, gave them fishing advice. Yeah, fishing advice. Yeah. And uh, you know, then they realize that that is the Lord, and they come to the beach and eat with him. And then this Sunday... But they realize it's the Lord when they bring the fish in, correct. and they have this bounty of fish. Correct. And then this Sunday, um, and this is some of the verses that we will read from Luke 24, is the famous story of the walk to Emmaus. Um, and I'm going to read a couple of these verses, but it brings up the same idea that after the resurrection, there's this weird um, recurring theme where people don't recognize Jesus Christ. Um, it seems like before his life, especially toward the end of his ministry, he could go nowhere without being recognized. I mean, that was that's actually part of the you know, drama of the Gospels is Jesus keeps trying to go places and crowds follow him and he has to get in a boat to escape the crowd. Everyone knows who this guy is. And after his resurrection, he's walking around and the people who most knew him before have no idea who he is. And so mm -hmm. there's this weird theme here. And the walk to Emmaus is, I think, the most obvious example of this. And so it's from Luke 24 and verse 13 introduces it. It says, two of them, two, two of disciples. Um, there's some debate on who this exactly is because we only get one of their names later. But they are going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? Which is a very funny line from our Lord. Mm -hmm. um, kind of obviously knowing what is going on. This is all anybody is talking about. And it says, They stood still looking sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet and how our chief priests, and they go on to kind of explain the story. Um, but they say in verse 21, and I think this is important, they say, but we had hoped that he was to be the one to redeem Israel. And then they say it's been three days, and they say, that, you know, some women are saying that he's risen from the dead. And then Jesus' reply in verse 25 is, oh, how foolish you are, 
and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then Jesus goes through the scriptures, it says, beginning with Moses, and interprets all of them. And they still don't understand what is going on until they get to a village and Jesus stays with them and we get that famous scene where he takes bread, blessed it, broke it, that Eucharistic imagery, and it says, then the eyes of them were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So I think this is the most obvious example of people not recognizing him, maybe along with Mary Magdalene. But you get these two disciples, one who is named Cleopas, and they are sad because they say that we, we hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus, you know, softly but sternly reprimands them and says, you know, don't you get it? Um, basically saying, you know, kind of critiquing their idea of what redemption was going to look like. You, you, you've missed the point. They couldn't somehow conceive, I guess, of the Messiah dying and suffering. That was out of the realm of possibility. And so, you know, they see the, 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 the Messiah that they thought was going to be the Redeemer die. And they basically say, well, there's that. I guess it's not happening after all. Um, and then when Jesus explains all of the scriptures, basically showing that even when we read Exodus, we see Jesus, because that is what Jesus himself is doing. And then when they break bread, there is that um, transformation that happens. And, and I like the eyes imagery. I preached a little bit on this on, on um, Sunday, that it takes eyes of faith to recognize Jesus Christ at times. And that happens to us in baptism. That is why you know, baptism precedes the Eucharist because it doesn't make sense for us to approach the bread and the wine until we've been transformed and have been given the ability to perceive Jesus Christ there. But what is your take on on this story and in all of these where Jesus is walking around and people continually don't recognize him? What do you think is the point of that? Well, I think there, there are at least two immediate takeaways, and there are tons of takeaways. One is, right, I mean, so it's interesting that the readings on Sunday in Eastertide sort of show the the development of mature faith. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if the readings in Eastertide are these triumphant um, examples of the disciples no, getting yeah, it. Not. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's how they, how they grow into it. But it's also what faith is. Now, I'm trying to, I was trying to think of who I have seen um, in the flesh of a famous person. Yeah. And try, try to imagine, I think maybe all of us have kind of seen maybe uh, someone who is famous from a distance or wherever, and maybe you didn't know that's who they were. So, like, if you go to a concert, yep. the headliner is there. That's the that's famous obvious. person. But if you're out at a large city or at a restaurant and you see someone, you're kind of asking, "Is that who they are?" And you're asking the person you're really with, them? "Is, that, is yeah. that them?" Not sure, and kind of looking, you're not really sure. That's understandable because it's out of context. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting to see. Garth Brooks at Bojangles in Winston-Salem. Right. right. Ah, it just looks like him. It's not really yeah. him. However, I've never seen Garth Brooks up close and personal. These individuals spent two or three years of their lives with, with him. him. They know him. Every day, they broke bread with him. They, they, they fished. I mean, they, 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 these people knew what he looked mm-hmm. like. So the idea that the immediate... Um, uh, encounters with the risen Lord are ones where they do not recognize him is significant. Yeah. It's not as if 
his appearance has changed. It's, it's, it's a new way of seeing now. I think that's the message right. that's being conveyed. They have to see with the eyes of faith. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think that it, that it says to us is that the resurrected body is not a resuscitated body. Correct. We're not talking about Lazarus. Mm-hmm. So I understand, and, and I'm probably use the same language, we talk about the resurrection of Lazarus. Not exactly the same thing. Right. That was the resuscitation of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Resurrected body back to his original life. Is a glorified body. Yeah. And so we see in the walk to Emmaus sort of uh bilocation. You know, yeah, this this yeah. is and he this disappears. Disappears. Also this is at this is the very day of Easter mm-hmm. where he's appearing to to uh, Mary Magdalene and mm-hmm. all these He's also to to um, to uh, Cleopas, and I think a lot of scholars think Saint Luke was the other disciple because yeah, yeah. oftentimes when you when you read the Gospels and they mention an unnamed disciple, that's kind of their way of signing their name. It was me, right. like John, the mm-hmm. beloved disciple, or the one whom Jesus loved. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a glorified body. This is what this is what resurrection is, and we see that in we see that in, in the account of. Um, of having to to eat the fish that mm-hmm. he's eating, he's not a ghost, and and that's we hear we hear the disciples wondering, is yeah. this a spirit? Is it yeah, a ghost? Touch touch my wounds. I mean, there's there's something physical here. Yeah, and so, but if we if faith is not about, um, and what did Jesus say to to Thomas on on the next the next Sunday evening? You have believed because you have seen. Right. Blessed, Blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. In the same way that you're seeing me Correct. now, there's a different way of seeing. Mm-hmm. So how do we see? Well, with the eyes of faith. Right. Um, that is what um, the reading from First John is talking about this week. That faith overcomes the right. world. Well, what what are the lenses in which we see Jesus Christ in faith? Well, let's talk about your experience. You you mentioned that Bishop Brewer after after laying his hands upon you, mm-hmm. put the Bible on on your head, touched your touched your forehead with this. Right. Not that that was a magical thing, but it was a sign, it was a symbol to mm-hmm. you that, that you were under the authority of Holy Scripture, and that is how we see Jesus Christ yeah. in Scripture. How did the, the disciples understand who Jesus Christ was resurrected? Well, Jesus, whom they did not recognize, opened Scripture right. to them, number one. And then what was the other way we talked about is this Eucharistic image of mm-hmm. of of and it's the, the same sort of language, bread, the, breaking you know. it, blessing it, breaking it, giving it. Holy Scripture, the Holy Sacraments, are the two promised ways mm-hmm. in which we encounter Jesus Christ. How we see Him, how we learn to recognize Him. I say the promised ways. We're not going to sit here and say these are the only two ways Jesus Christ has made 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 known to us. We're not limiting Jesus Christ. Those are the ways that are guaranteed yeah. that we can encounter him. Yeah, and it's you know, I you know you, we've used athletic imagery a lot before, and you know you'll hear people say, you know, you can work out with anything or anywhere, and you can figure out ways to do it, but you almost have to develop the training somewhere first, um, and then you know you can learn how to work out anywhere, or you know you you go to school, you can learn anywhere, but you go to get trained and to kind of build that foundation. And it's a similar way with our faith that we go to the guaranteed sources to train our eyes and to have them opened in the first place. And then we can go and encounter Jesus elsewhere. But it's not as if, you know, the school one falls short because we're not graduating from that ever. It's not as if 
you go to church till you get confirmed, and now you've graduated and can encounter Jesus wherever you want. We're always returning to that source to kind of reset our focus, going back to the source of grace, to the source where our eyes are opened, and then we walk out of church literally full of Jesus in our stomachs, um, and we're able to perceive him in the people we encounter, in those in need, I mean, in, in all of that. But it's always this return to those sources, Scripture and the sacraments, that kind of resets our focus, that grounds us in the grace of Jesus Christ and almost gives us those lenses, you know, now go back out into the world, now that you've received the lenses. Um, we're always trying to, I think, reset that foundation, which is why every single day um, we offer Mass here. Um, now, literally every single day, now that I've been ordained, yeah. because we are always in need of that reset. Well, let's talk about how that works for a moment, because the Holy Eucharist is the objective presence of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ as a sacrament. But that, and Thomas Aquinas says this, so I think we can say that the efficacy of that, of that, of that sacrament is activated by faith. Correct. I think, again, Thomas Aquinas, who was a great defender of the real presence mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ, says that. Mm -hmm. Meaning that you can come um, and have no faith whatsoever, you're still receiving Jesus Christ, but it's, it's not transformative. And it can't even be damaging, it as St. Paul, says. Saint Paul yeah. says. So it's not as if we're coming and taking a magic potion. Correct. This is not the red pill or the blue pill that's going to fix everything. But the more we come, the more we are exposed to Holy Scripture. Mm -hmm. The more we come, the more we are in a place of prayer. The more we come, the more we learn to pray for things beyond our immediate temporal needs. Mm -hmm. The more we come, the more we pray for other people. All of this begins to form and shape mm -hmm. us. It doesn't always happen, rarely happens immediately right. in one time. Because what happens is we come and we receive, you said we're full of Jesus Christ, we are, and then what, what, what often happens is as soon as church is over, we're nasty again. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're, we are um, blaspheming Christ within us. We're right. blaspheming Christ in the people around us. Mm -hmm. The more we come, the more we are reminded of that, mm -hmm. and the more we pause and we begin to, to meditate on what we have received, what is in one another, and how we, how we view the world and everything in it once we leave. And it requires that consistency and that repetition mm -hmm. and that exposure to all of this before that change can, can really take place. To continue the same imagery that you've started about our body and exercise, because we all understand that, we get yeah. that. You can't say, after years of living unhealthily and eating a poor diet, I'm going to start my diet today and eat a good, healthy, well-balanced diet uh, for one day, and then expect to have lost 60 pounds when you step yeah. on the scale. It's not going or to expect happen. expect to feel different overnight. That will take months and years you will have consistent progress, mm -hmm. but you can't expect to wake up the next morning and be completely transformed. That's, that's unreasonable. Yeah. Now, transformations happen spiritually differently, but for most of us, it's a similar progression. Mm -hmm. Being exposed, um, being aware of what's within us, right. and, and, and asking for the Lord to help us to, to see with the eyes of faith. It's not mm -hmm. as if we have to will ourselves to have faith. We, it's a gift. Yep. We have to receive it 
however. We have to be receptive to it. Mm -hmm. And to be receptive is to be present. Which is why I think it is. it works so wonderfully that baptism is our entrance to the Holy Eucharist, because that is not something we do. Um, I mean, at the beginning of the podcast, we made the comparison baptism and ordination, something God has done for us. And it's something necessary because that is what places us in the body, in the body of Christ, in the church, and kind of sets us on the right path toward the Eucharist to now perceive Jesus Christ. The Eucharist is, you know, some some saints will say it's a it's a the greatest test of faith because it is um, a test to perceive Jesus Christ in it. But it's not, you know, a test that requires our own willpower to to get us there. It's it's a test in the sense that you know it 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 is in front of us, reminding us of our baptism, and it takes eyes of faith to perceive Jesus Christ in it. And I think the best example of this is anybody who has not grown up in the church who would see Mass would have no idea why it would be so impactful. Um, occasionally they will, but but usually it does take that, you know, months and months of kind of little by little picking up on things, and then that gets you to the point where you know, maybe once a week and hopefully every day, maybe you're you're having those experiences in front of the Holy Eucharist. Um, it's a test of faith, not because, you know, if we're good enough, the Eucharist will mean something to us. That's that's not, you know, what's happening here. It's a test of faith because it requires a transformed um, spiritual life by Jesus Christ for us to perceive him in the bread and the wine. Yeah, and the majority of our lives are dry times. Correct. And we feel closest to God in those dry times because we have to force ourselves to continue the yeah. the, the discipline. You are where your bodies are, mm-hmm. and that's the theology of the Incarnation. Where is God? God is among us. God proved that by coming mm-hmm. among us. If you want to prove what is important to you, look at your calendar. Yep. Pure and simple. And that's not a shaming thing. That's just an accurate ob- right. observation. And so the the being present when we don't feel like being present is is putting ourselves in that position to have that transformation continue within mm-hmm. us. And that is even more important and vital when we're not feeling it, mm-hmm. when we're not on that spiritual high, when things aren't... Um, all angelic whispers in our ear every morning is when our prayers are dry, our faith feels empty, mm-hmm. the <clears throat> characters of the Bible don't leap off the page, the Mass is distracting, we're caring more about the annoying people around yeah. us, or the or the voice of the priest, or the, or the quality of the homily, all of that. Those are natural things. We all experience them. You have to push through yeah. uh, and put ourselves in that position where a surprising individual is next to us, who looks at us and says, what are you talking about? What's going through your mind? And then to be in that position where a surprising voice opens the Holy Scriptures to us, Mm -hmm. and we discover that uh, our hearts were burning the whole time because Christ is in our midst. Yeah, and there's a trust involved in that, that, you know, when when you're, quote-unquote, feeling it, and it's easy, there's not not as much trust demanded of you. because you show up and you feel something and you feel changed and it's kind of obvious that something's happening. In those dry times, the, it takes a lot of um, faith and trust to say something is happening here, even if I, I don't get it yet, even if it feels like it's, it's not, even if it feels like God is so far from me and so distant, there's a trust that he's still here, even, even if it's hard for me to see today. So I'm going to be here. I'm going to place myself with him physically, sacramentally. And I'm going to trust that, you know, like Thomas, um, 
in a week, in a month, I'll finally have that experience just like the people around me. Um, and, you know, you'll have four or five of those throughout your lifetime or, or four or five of them in a week even. Um, that kind of is the, the rhythm of prayer. And I think, you know, to bring it back to discussions about ordination, that is what we've pledged to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to always be there at the altar and, you know, I've done it twice now, about to do it three times. So I have not really had this experience yet, but you've talked about this numerous times where there are days when you don't feel like it 20 minutes before Mass and, and you know, you're feeling distant and it feels dry. But but your pledge for the people and to God is to always show up and to be present and to offer that sacrifice um, because you trust that by doing that every single day um, or every single week, that, that things will change, that that will actually have an impact on the people around you mm-hmm. and on yourself. There's a lot there. Um, I always find these resurrection stories kind of fun because it, it um, almost invites us to speculate about what our resurrected bodies will be like. Um, well, and so, yeah, absolutely. And, and all that we have to go on is Jesus yeah, Christ. There's not much. And, and, and he does some weird things. Well, and that's right. And we, we know that it is a body because he yeah. ate, right. but it's, it's a different kind of body because he, he appears, he does and this. They hug him yep. and kiss him. And, uh, and then he, you know, enters into locked rooms and disappears from people's midst. Um, it is kind of a, a fun and, and interesting, you well, know, and I think people, conclusion to the gospel. People need to <clears throat> consider this when they... When they are anxious, I, I still think that most people, understandably so, this is not a critique, confuse resurrection with resuscitation. Yeah. I hear this a lot with, um, now there are, I think, some um, appropriate, uh, there are there are appropriate critiques of cremation if you want to make one, uh, meaning, I need to explain that, I can't lay that out there and not explain it. <laughs> if uh, cremation is is fine. All, all bodies decompose. It just depends on what speed you yep. want to you yep. want to elect. So let me say a couple of things about that. Since I've already opened this can of worms, is that it's not as if we have to arrange our bones in the right order, because if we don't, when the resurrection comes, uh, we may have our yeah. femur where our, you know, arm should be. Right. Whatever. Or if your bones get scattered, you you know that's don't have an arm all that, of a sudden. That's just simply not the case. Correct. At all. Nor has anyone in the church at, at any age ever. Um, argued for that. I mean, in antiquity, when Jesus was placed in his tomb, it was an accelerated uh, or controlled kind of cremation. What they would do it was is, they would come back a year later. They would come back a year later and they would collect the bones yep. and put them in an ossuary. Yep. A, 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 literally means a, a, a box of bones yeah. is what they would do. And, and, then those and ha- would start having been in the Holy Land and seen what these what these uh, tombs look like. The, they would be a place where the body would would decompose. Mm-hmm. And then there would be niches in the wall where you would, you know, put the bones and all that. At any rate, so the same point, process, just correct. taking a lot longer. The point I mean about about um, theological critiques is if cremation is a denial of what death actually right. is. And right. what I mean by that is when you come to a funeral and there is a lovely little box or urn yeah. that is not does not immediately convey yeah. body or correct. death. And so if if it's if kind crem- of abstract sometimes correct if cremation lends to the abstraction of death that's a theological critique it's not the process itself right it's how we use it so um, but the point is is that is that if you want to know what a resurrected body looks like you have to look at Jesus Christ he's right. the only one we who, he's the first fruit correct it's not a resuscitation 
it is um but it's still very mysterious mm-hmm. we we you know is there an element that Jesus looked different i mean yes they weren't seeing with the eyes of faith but did he actually but, look yeah. different don't maybe. know maybe don't know we do know he ate he was there was a physicality yeah. meaning that when you go to funerals and someone dies, it's not appropriate or theologically correct to say the body is just a shell. Yeah. No, that's, that's not it's correct. It's not really them or something like that. If the body is just a shell, the empty tomb is irrelevant. Right. We have to, we have to always make that connection. Yeah. The body is a part of what it means it's to vital. be a human being. And, it, and it's, that's part of them. That, that is how they experience the world. You are not a person apart from your body. Right. We are not disembodied spirits, spirits that are looking to be released right. from this cage that we've been subjected to by God's judgment and wrath. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wrong. At the same time, his body did things that ours can't do now, mm-hmm. which is someone who is sore from a softball game from the previous <laughs> evening. I'm looking forward to a body that can do things that... It can't do now, and but that you're right. That speculation is fun and interesting, and we have permission to speculate, with the caveat that we are speculating, yeah. and we're not speaking as an article of faith because we simply don't know. It is a mystery, yeah. but we do have uh, glimpses and hints as to what that would look like from these accounts. I'm gonna close with one brief word of kind of encouragement and a challenge with this story. Every time I read it, I always think of people who say something like. If Jesus would just do something obvious, then I would believe in him. You know, why, why doesn't he just show up in this room and stand in front of us? Um, you know, just give me something beyond a doubt to believe in. And then I read these stories, and you know, you kind of laugh to yourself because he did. These, that. Yeah, these disciples probably said the same thing. Oh, you know, if the Messiah would just make it obvious, and here Jesus shows up, and he, beginning with Moses, explains the scriptures. I mean, what more could you ask for? And they're oblivious to it. And it's not until the scriptures and the sacraments kind of settle into their bones that the light clicks on and they see him. And I think that is helpful for us when we have those moments of dryness and we say, why doesn't God just make it obvious? Come on now. He's given us everything we need. We have to trust that scripture and the sacraments are actually enough for us. Um, We don't need you know, something different. We don't really call the shots. God has created us and has given us exactly what we need, and we have to trust that that will be enough. So when people say, you know, why don't he just give me a miracle? I'll believe if if God makes it obvious beyond the shadow of a doubt. Um, That is kind of you trying to say, I want to believe in God on my own terms. Um, And that is not the God that exists. He exists on his own terms, and he has given us the means to perceiving him and um, encountering him, and I think these stories are perfect examples. They do, of that. and and you know, saying in Luke's gospel, as soon as you say that, I'm remind, reminded of the rich man and Lazarus, yeah. where yeah. the rich man says, if someone were to come back from the dead, they yeah. would, they will believe them. Give them a sign they they can't resist. And Father Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should Correct. rise from the dead. Dismiss it away. Yeah, we, gaslighting is not something we've invented <laughs> uh, in this century. It's been around for a long time. Wonderful. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore.